Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm a politician, and that means that in my line of work, if I go a day where I just don't feel like shaving, which happens occasionally, and you get like a little bit of growth, a little bit of stubble, <laughs> people come up to you and they're like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> or your wife. Or your wife's like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you get ready for TV? Yeah, well, that happens too. With Dollar Shave Club, you can get products for your hair, your face, skin, shower, everything you need so that those kinds of situations never have to happen. They have you looking and feeling amazing. And it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients and they deliver it right to your door, just like they do with the razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down the aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf and saying, what is that thing? And what do you do with it? You ever do that, Jason? Like if I were at Starbucks looking at the big menu board, maybe. <laughs> Unintended plug for Starbucks. Well, I don't drink coffee. So. And now is a great time to give Dollar Shave Club a try. You can get your first month of their best razor along with the travel size version of the shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even the fourth point of contact wipes. <laughs> just as a family, I've decided that's what we're calling it. For just $5. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's the Dollar Shave Club starter set. Get yours for just $5 exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash five four. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash five four. I'm Jason Kander and welcome to Majority 54. Remember two years ago when we still talked about the college debt crisis? Remember when what to do about it was one of the defining topics of the Democratic primary for president? I'm nostalgic for those days. And I lament the fact that it barely qualifies as one of the most divisive issues anymore, solely because the people in power refuse to care about it. I'm interested in reviving the conversation. After today's interview, I'll address the talking points that you tend to hear from the other side about this. Stuff like, this is about the extravagant lifestyles of students, or this generation is too lazy and entitled, or people shouldn't take out debt if they can't afford to pay it back. But before we get into all that, I want to make sure we have a conversation to make the issue real. Curry Oglesby and I sat down in a Maryland diner to talk about the college loan gauntlet that she's traveling. She entered Howard University on a full scholarship, and when it comes to setting herself up for a growing field, she chose one of the savviest majors that she could. Next thing she knew, she was nearly underwater in debt and her credit was shot. All because an academic advisor let her take a class that she wasn't supposed to take. And just when she thought she had it under control, a literal snowstorm intervened. Here's Curry. Best place to start, tell me where you're from. I am originally from Greenville, South Carolina, mm -hmm. and I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina when I was about nine, ten years old. Okay, so you're, for all intents and purposes, you 
grew up in North Carolina. Yes. And you got really good grades in high school, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> Do you remember, like, what at, at what point at growing up you decided, like, I'm going to college? There was never a time that I didn't think it. Okay. <laughs> it was always expected. Was it that there was an expectation from your parents that you're going to college, or was it, like, just sort of internal for you? It was a little bit of everything. I mean, I was really bright when I was young. Uh, I was always expected to do well. I was always expected to be the best, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that was from parents, that was from teachers, family members, anybody that I came around, even other kids, honestly, they looked to me as yeah. that person, like, oh, Curry's going to school. Right. <laughs> what was your GPA when you graduated high school? Uh, it was, I only remember the weighted one because that was the one that really made me proud. <laughs> that, one, that counts. <laughs> Just we'll go with the weighted. It was, uh, it was like 4.37 or something like that. That's good. Yeah, so I did well. That's better than my <laughs> high school GPA. What did you decide you wanted to go to school for? I was really unsure for a while, but then I started looking through some options and I landed on healthcare management, uh, public health, something in that realm. I was like, well, this would be good. Everybody's going to need someone to manage healthcare systems. I could do that. Was there, I mean, was it just that that's a job I could do or was it like there was something about it that drew you to it? Did you know somebody in the field? Well, my mom is a nurse. Uh, a lot of my family members work in medicine. I yeah. actually grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and that medicine is a really big part of it. Like, medical professionals are some of the highest-regarded individuals within our church. So that was really important, and I knew that that was going to be stable. I understood that that was something that I could do to make a change, mm-hmm. and I knew that it was something that needed to be worked on because there were always issues with regard to managing healthcare systems, making sure people got the appropriate types of care. So I thought I could do something there. How'd you pick Howard? Um, well, I applied to five schools. I got into all five schools. I visited all but one. And Howard was the one that I felt the most at home with. And they gave me the best scholarship at that time. So <laughs> one and two. It's a tough school. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy. <laughs> but if yeah. you can make it there... You can make it anywhere. <laughs> so uh, then your scholarship, at some, what happened that you, you lost your scholarship? Point one GPA point. Point uh-huh. one GPA point at the end of my freshman year. Yeah. Because I could not retake calculus. Oh, it hurts my heart every single time I think about it. You weren't really supposed to be in the calculus class? Or? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I was so upset. So (laughs) my test that they gave us to determine what type of math we should be taking uh, came back that I should be taking applied calc, not regular calc. And I've always been pretty good at math. Usually a pretty strong suit. I always got A's. It was never an issue. I took all the way up through to calculus. I took AP calculus in high school. So I was like, oh, this will this will be fine. No worries. So I signed up and my advisor saw that he was like, well, okay. Yeah. Just stay in that. And I didn't know the difference between applied calc and regular calc. I mean, as we sit here, I don't, <laughs> so I wouldn't know why so you it's would a little, know. it's a little less intense applied yeah. calc. Um, and that's really where I should have been, but little did old 18 year old Curry know <laughs> at that point. 
So I took it and was doing horribly, barely made it out of there. And you didn't you didn't fail it. Right? I did not fail. Yeah. I did not fail, but I got I got very close to it. I was like right at the edge of a CD. I was at a D. But I almost got a C. I was so close. So you you get the D in calculus, mm-hmm. and then I assume, you know, what within a semester you find out that you've lost your scholarship by a tenth of a point. Yes. And yes. so then you <laughs> you had to call your mom. Called my mom. Um, it was really mu- it was very much on the edge because um, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to be able to go back, but I was like. I'm, we have to make this happen. And my mom, being as wonderful as she is and has always been, uh, just said, we're going to make this happen then. Uh, she had already taken out some loans for my ha- my room and board because that part wasn't covered by my scholarship. It was just, you know, tuition. Um, I had a small book stipend, that type of stuff. Uh, so... <laughs> she was like, well, we're both going to have to do this at that point. I was like, well, whatever needs to happen, I need to finish school. And I want to finish in four years, and I don't want to have a break. And she was just very determined, and so was I. So she was going through this with you? Yeah. Or or more like you felt like you were going through it with her? Yes, she's always been very, very supportive. And furthermore, it was like, I don't have my degree in my house. She has it. That's that was her. You know what I mean? She wanted to make sure her baby got through. Wait, you mean like right now as we sit here? Oh, right now as we sit here, I have not seen my degree <laughs> except for in her office in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's in her office. It's in her office in the house. It sits on the mantle. That's cool. Right next to her degrees and like copies of my brother and my sister's diploma so yeah yeah no i have not seen i that. think that's cool that she that for her yes you getting through school is a personal accomplishment yes of, it was very hers, serious as well it should be yeah did does she have debt from school she does she does she actually started back with at school um to get her bachelor's when i was in college so basically she was just like i know in order to get a better position within the hospital and here in general, because she's been a nurse forever. Like, she went to school to be an LPN. She got her RN while she was pregnant with me, by the way, and had me during her break, (laughs) her Christmas break, went back, finished, got her, you know, her license and everything like that, her associates, but she never was able to go back to get her bachelor's. So once I graduated, I was the last one out the house. She was like, I'm going to go back, get my bachelor's, get my master's. And she did. So your mom was taking out loans for her own school while you were in school, but also taking out loans for you Mm -hmm. that were parent loans. Yes. For you. Yes. Um, Wow. Yes. I have no understanding of it. I can see why the degree is at her house. Yes, exactly. She earned it. She earned it. So you get the first year's over at Howard. Mm -hmm. Your scholarship's gone. Mm -hmm. You've decided you and your mom decided you're going to take out loans mm-hmm. how are you uh cutting corners in order to accommodate the situation for the most part i was struggling i'm not even going to front uh, so i had to start working my second semester in my second year did you ever feel like you were like choosing between books and something you would usually think you needed yes i mean <laughs> yes. Like, i i don't i didn't like uh, Chef Boyardee. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Ramen isn't my favorite. You know what I'm saying? But I made it work. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> because it was it was that or 
my education. So you you enter school mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I want to be in what is in some ways sort of a public service, yeah. uh, you know, vocation. I, I want to be mm-hmm. in the hospital helping yes. deliver services to patients. And we're talking now by the end of school, it's 2008, 2009, and, and you're thinking pretty much exclusively, how do I make money. some money? It, I mean, it changed It changed how you were motivated. Drastically. By necessity. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when you came into school, did you make any attempt to uh, try and get a job in the field that you had studied for? Or oh, was, yes. Tell me oh, about that. Oh, yes. It was, um, I graduated in May of 2009. Prior to my graduation, I was sending out my application, sending out my resume, uh, submitting applications at... NIH at um, American Public Health Association. I submitted applications uh, with multiple places in D.C., like anything that had to deal with grant writing, anything that had to deal with uh, health management, um, whatever it might have been, I was submitting applications for it. And also, I did submit applications at that point because come my junior year, I knew I was going to have like a mountain of debt. And I knew I was not, I was not going to go back home. So I'm going to have to make some decent money to stay in DC. Uh, so I started submitting applications to Johnson and Johnson and, um, who else? Some other like health insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, medical device sales, anything. You were casting a wide net. Yes, I was. You ended up, I think, did you stay at Nordstrom's Mm -hmm. then? Uh, yeah. So obviously that's not what you thought you were going to do when you went to school. No. <laughs> and no. what were you doing at Nordstrom's? I was a salesperson on the floor. I worked in the lingerie department, which was probably one of the better commissioned departments in the entire store. And I was just a salesperson. That's what I did. I started working a second job for like a month or so, and then I quit it because I could not do both. Um, and it was another sales job. I started looking for other jobs. Like, I, I was trying to get into healthcare one way or another. I was trying to become a research assistant or an associate or someone that was, you know, doing supervisor work or front desk. I didn't care. I wanted to get there. You said that there came a point where you couldn't make the payments anymore. Yeah. Tell me about how, how far into the job were you and what happened? Well, it was... Pretty soon, like, oh, when would when did it start? Snowpocalypse. The beginning of 2010. So this is like, I'm a few months into payments. And then that horrible snowstorm in D.C. took us out. I couldn't get to work. At all. The metro was shut down. The buses weren't coming by my place. I'm not paying $50 for a cab. This is well before Uber. And even if Uber had been there, it would have been $50, $75. So I could not go to work for a solid week, week and a half or so. So I had to use up all of my PTO. Um, Pay time off. Yes, pay time off. And I... And that doesn't give you commission. So... That was the first, like, hump that messed me up. It was basically a big pay cut for that period oh, of time. Oh, yes. And, yeah. one, and I'm living paycheck to paycheck at this point, like, legitimately. If I'm down $100, I'm going to fill it. It's not a question. I'm going to fill it. So I was down a few hundred at that point. Um, I was able to make another payment, but soon after that, 
people just stopped coming in as often. They weren't buying as frequently. They weren't buying as much. And it just kind of snowballed. Anything stressing you out this week, Jason? Uh, the Chiefs lost. They got hosed by the refs. I don't. That was not forward progress. It was ridiculous. I'm so sorry. That, that was a rough Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is that Soothe is an on-demand massage service that delivers a hand-selected, licensed, and experienced massage therapist to you in the comfort of your own home, hotel, or office in as little as an hour to wipe away any stress that you may have in your life. They show up with everything, the massage table, the sheets, the oil, and even the music so that you can unwind no matter where you are. Therapists can earn over three and a half times what they'd make at a spa while maintaining incredible schedule flexibility. That means you get the best therapist and you can book a massage like for a 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. You have to admit, Mariota kind of deserved that win. Yeah, like it, it's hard to be mad. Like it was ridiculous. Soothe. <laughs> book a massage as soon as today. Our listeners are getting a special offer that will make you forget your playoff team of choice and $20 off your first massage when you use our code 54. Just download Soothe, Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E, in the iOS App Store or Google Play Store. And be sure to use our code 54 to get $20 off your first massage. Soothe. Spa quality massage. Anytime. Anywhere. I think I'm pulling for the Titans the rest of the way. Oh, man. I'm pulling for Soothe. <laughs> <laughs> Within two years, you, you can't make the payments and the deferments are up, I was assume, yeah. right? Deferments were up. And by that time, I had started working at Enterprise. So I was working at Enterprise as a management trainee, which was a much more steady check. I knew and I knew what to expect every single time. So it helped me be able to budget. By, but by this time, I was in a hole. Um, Because it wasn't just my student loan that I couldn't really pay. The credit card, I couldn't really pay that. How far into the enterprise job did you default? It was when I, actually after I got a promotion. Huh. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Um, I got a promotion to assistant branch manager at uh, the airport. And I had to get a car. And I did not want to get a car. To get to the job. To get to the job. Because it was at the airport, the hours were extended. It was a lot. It was open earlier than the metro started, and it closed later than the metro ended. There, again, no Uber, so I couldn't Uber across the bridge just to get the bus to my house. So, and and any cab you took was going to be ridiculously expensive. So I had to get a car. So car payment and car insurance. Because... My credit was already jacked (laughs) as a result of everything else. That car payment was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, as well as the insurance, honestly. And I'd never been in an accident. I had had a great track record. Been driving since I was, what, 15? I've been driving since I was 15. At that point, I was like 24 or so. So I had a lot of driving experience for a young (laughs) kid, you know? Um, That didn't mean anything to them. I was still under 25. And you think credit is why you had the big, the oh, big payment? Oh, yeah, it was definitely credit. I actually asked them. <laughs> the irony of you're working at a car rental place, you can't afford to get a car. 
I mean, Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's I mean, hilarious, and we did very well. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good time. It was a wonderful learning experience. I did great work, but I mean, it sounds like you got promoted really quickly. It sounds like you were working hard, doing a good job. Yeah, no, I moved. I moved. So, so you default, and then mm-hmm. what does that actually mean when you have student loans and you default? What happens? So, once you default. You get the calls. And once you get the calls... Tell me, the calls, what do you mean? The calls from, from uh, you know, FAFSA or whoever it is, uh, federal loan handlers. Um, and then they're constantly calling you, calling you, when can you, when can you set a payment? When can you set a payment? Do you need it? Well, you've already gotten too many deferments. Can, you, can I do one more? This is a hardship. Can I do forbearance? Something. Um, so at that point... Uh, I was dodging calls, to be frank. I was just like, I can't deal with this right now. I, I cannot. I have no space in my brain. When you have loans, the way that they're able to collect, that's, that's the one where it ain't like you can just dodge the loan office on the way back. No. So they, they garnish your yes. wages, right? They started to garnish, and I didn't know what was happening. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> what is this? Less money in my paycheck. Yes. Oh, it was a chunk. It was ridiculous. And I, it was once I actually, right after I got my second promotion at Enterprise. After your second promotion, they're like. Immediately, they started. I was just like. I rationalized it at that point. I was just like, you know what? At least it's getting paid. I'll figure out how to deal with it. At least it's getting paid because right now I don't. While all this is going on and you're hustling to try and catch back up, how, did you ever think about the fact that all this happened because you were put in the wrong calculus class? Good grief. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I legitimately cannot stand calculus right now because of that class, because of all this bullshit. I was just like, this, a lot of this would not be happening to me right now. <laughs> So you graduated in 2009, mm-hmm. uh, and over, now you're very much in sales. Like, you, yes. you, you're a career in sales yes. right now. Yes, And you're enjoying it, and mm-hmm. you're, with each job, money gets better. Yeah. And the situation gets better. How would you, I mean, describe, if you don't mind, your financial situation like right now? Mm-hmm. Right now, it is... Pretty decent. I'm able to actually start saving. I have a savings account that actually has some money in it. All right. I have, like, apps to pull money out in order to put it into a rainy day fund. I, um, I'm able to pay my bills on time. <laughs> these, are, these are all wins. They're wins. Absolutely. <laughs> I can get food. I can go out if I want to and not be concerned. Is that going to go through? Please go through. Oh, I got to wait till next week or whatever. You know, it's it's much better now. Um, that being said, the student loans are still right here. And you're saying right, right you behind you're right me. Right behind, behind me. me. Like, They're still right behind me. Like you can feel them there. I can feel them there because while I was at my last job, they were doing the garnishment and then I started doing the payment on top of it so that I could get that garnishment off. And I did it. I got through it. And I was able to still live and pay my bills and everything like that. And I was doing the additional payments afterwards. And then in March or April, I call. 
March of April. was March of, in or April of this year. Okay, it was 2017. in 2017. Okay. Um, I called in to make my payment. And see what's going to happen because around that time was when it was supposed to actually move to be positive on my credit reports. So I was really excited about this. I call and they were like, "Oh, so we no longer can work with the federal student loans. Um, they took this company off of that. So all of that work that I did oh, God. <laughs> doesn't even exist. You were for over uh, what for over a year for a year I did this for a year straight thinking I'm I'm paying extra into this I'm, I'm getting ahead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow and I call the Department of Education they rerouted me multiple times I actually have like a whole list of numbers that I took down in my phone in order to make sure that I can have them ready if I have to call them to make a payment um, like you're chasing them so you can give them money. Exactly. Uh, chase them to get money, uh, to give them money. Have still been calling them as recently as two weeks ago, I think it was, last time I tried to call them, to figure out what's happening, who's servicing my loan now, oh my who exactly should I be paying. Because the thing is, if I pay into it, it's not, it's not like I'm making an on-time payment. So it's not positively affecting my credit. It's not doing anything to actually get it positive on my credit. So I'm like, I'm not paying you all until you tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, who's holding this? Um, and they were like, well, we still have to figure out who's going to be handling your loan now. So um, we're not sure when that's going to happen. We don't have an idea of when that's going to happen. And I was just like, that was such a waste of time. Yeah, demoralizing. It, it hurt all of my feelings. Yeah, all of, my all feelings of your were, feelings. All of my feelings were hurt, every single one of them. So, <laughs> isn't it fun? <laughs> Isn't it magnificent? You've got a very good attitude about it. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, I always wanted to go to school. I always wanted to go to college. I always wanted to do this. So whatever needed to happen in order to make that happen was going to happen. It wasn't a question of if. It just was. I don't know if. If it's not my friend. What's the biggest thing that you're not able to do that you really would want to do right now? Is it is it buy a house? Is, it, is there a vacation? I'm just Maybe you don't even ever think about it. I do think about it because the thing is, I'm now in a position where I see enough light. And I know that once, once the Department of Ed gets their stuff together, I'll actually have the money to be able to pay them. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. But I want to be able to fly home to South Carolina and North Carolina Instead of having to get a rental car or take a bus, you know, like I want to be able to do that. Those are the things I want to be able to do. Those are not, I mean, those aren't huge dreams. No, not really. Not really. (laughs) I'm pretty simple. (laughs) I'm pretty simple with what I want and what I need. Every man looks better in a suit. And Indochino is the largest custom apparel company to create that great fit. They make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements. Here's how it works. You pick your fabric, choose your customization, submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in three weeks or less. I was looking on the website, and you can customize your jacket liner, and it reminded me of that scene in Boomerang where David Allen Greer's dad comes in, and he's like, you got to coordinate. And he's got, like, his liner and his belt. Anyway, I want to do that. <laughs> Is that what it's going to take for you to wear a full suit instead of the jeans and the You shirt? like the jeans. 
I do. I think it looks really, really good. I'm just saying, are you going to have a, maybe, a fully maybe I'll matching? Get a, maybe I'll get a denim liner on the inside of my suit <laughs> match my jeans. That would be so sharp. <laughs> yeah. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering 5-4 at checkout. That's over 50% off the regular price for a premium made-to-measure suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code 5-4 for any premium suit for just $359 plus free shipping. Most Americans get less than the recommended seven to eight hours of sleep a night. And perhaps a lot of that has to do with their sleeping conditions. Or different temperatures that <laughs> people prefer. I mean, some people like tropical climates and <laughs> other people have to suffer. I'm so sorry. Dino likes to sleep in a sauna. <laughs> and in many cases, it's not just the temperature in the room, but also the firmness of the mattress. Sleep number lets you choose your ideal comfort and support on each side. It's the perfect bed for couples. Their newest beds are so smart that they actually sense your every move and automatically adjust so you stay sleeping comfortably throughout the night. They even have an adjustment for snoring. Don't miss the best bed for couples at the lowest price of the season. Come in now and save $400 to $700 on the most popular Sleep Number mattresses. You'll only find Sleep Number at sleepnumber.com or any of the 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. And be sure to tell them that Majority 54 sent you. Absolutely. I think people should walk in to Sleep Number <laughs> stores and be like, uh, excuse me, I'm here from Majority 54. I, I believe you know my friends at Majority 54. Please do that. Wear your shirt. Tweet at me and tell me how <laughs> Thanks to Curry for doing this. She's not a public figure, but she had no problem opening up about this very private part of her life. All right, let's go to deceptive argument number one. People shouldn't take out debt if they can't afford to pay it back. The other version of this is, you know, students have unreasonable expectations for their lifestyles during school. In so many ways, Curry had done everything the way that you're supposed to do it. She got really good grades in high school, got a scholarship to an excellent school. Her grades for most of college were really good. She picked a major that was supposed to launch her into one of the fastest growing industries. And despite everything that she went through, she actually graduated with about 50% less debt than the average. I forgot to ask while we were recording, but Curry told me her total loans were just $14,000. I don't know about you, but I was surprised by that number. I, I thought it was going to be more. But that just goes to show you that it's all relative. When you don't have $1,000, $14,000 can feel like a million. By the way, the federal government is making money off of Curry, even though all she's trying to do is become a productive, taxpaying member of society. Fact is, there's no amount of ramen you can eat to cover the cost of college. It's just not a question of lifestyle. The old model, where you pay for college by waiting tables all four years, is gone. Wages haven't even come close to keeping pace with college costs. So anyone who says it's a matter of hard work doesn't understand it's really just a matter of math. Saying you can still pay for college by working a minimum wage job is like saying, here's a nickel, go see a movie. Okay, next argument. They'll say, you know, college isn't for everybody. Now, in the past, our side has made some rhetorical mistakes that left us vulnerable to this argument. Too often, we've talked about college affordability exclusively in the context of four-year degrees and the conventional college experience of going straight to college right after high school. I have a friend who is a welder. He loves it, absolutely loves the work, and he's making a decent living at it, too, 
And in order to move up in the profession, he invested in his education and he got a professional certificate from the local community college. That may not be how everybody always thinks of college, but it is higher education. It's exactly the same, and it should be a part of the same conversation. There are folks who will never pursue a four-year degree, but they need a couple years of higher education to get ahead in their field. Everyone from EMTs to restaurant managers to carpenters. College affordability isn't just about millennials or kids straight out of high school. It's about all of us, because lifelong education is a fundamental part of a constantly changing economy. Last year, I spent some time as a visiting fellow at the University of Chicago, and between my lectures, I held mentoring sessions with the students. I met this kid, Zach, who grew up in Ohio in a working-class family. Until his senior year of high school, he wasn't even planning on going to college. He was planning to continue a career in fast food that he had started in high school. Now, Zach excelled at one of the most expensive, best schools in the country, and financial aid made it possible. He is destined for law or business or community engagement work, and I'm sure that he'll make a big impact in whatever he chooses. But that's not why I bring him up. If Zach had decided to stay and run those restaurants, at some point he would hit a plateau and need to go to school of some kind to get a certificate in management or an associate's in hospitality management. Making training and education accessible and affordable isn't about everyone going to college. It's about everyone having a chance to go as far in their field as they possibly can. It's not that college presented Zach with a better option. It's entirely possible he could have done better with the other path. It's that both paths ultimately led to a need for more school. It is just a question of when. Okay, final argument. They'll say these kids knew what they were getting into when they took out the debt. Don't rack up debt you can't afford. Everything that I've described so far, and most arguments that are going on out there about this, are about who's to blame and whether or not we should care about their situation. Whether we should have sympathy for this current generation of students and recent graduates, which means it ends up being a fight between younger Americans and older Americans, and between white-collar and blue-collar workers. But don't get bogged down in an argument about whether or not this one group deserves a smoother path. Because the truth is that this issue gets right at the heart of a much bigger American problem. We need to make college more affordable because if we don't, big parts of America are in deep trouble. And not for the reason you think. College affordability matters because with wages not going up enough and student debt going up too much, small towns and urban centers in middle America, in the West, and throughout the South, are losing too many people. When kids can't afford to come home, they usually don't, no matter how much they may want to. And that should matter to you whether it's your kid or not, because your town needs enough young people to be there, no matter their income, to buy stuff you make or services you provide. Otherwise, you're going to be out of work. I've been to all 114 counties in Missouri, and since President Trump took office, I've been to 33 states. When I stand in a room of middle-class Americans of all ages and ask them to raise their hand if their personal financial situation is affected by the student loans of someone in their family, nearly every hand in the room goes up every time. I've met people who have dropped out of school because they couldn't take on any more debt and because their parents are already drowning in their own student debt. Education, training, college, it all has to be affordable so we can go get it and then come home and use it. If we don't make that happen, 
were hollowing out the communities that people call home. Curry's home state, North Carolina, could have used somebody like her. And if not for her $14,000 in debt, she might have gone home. But instead, she's in Maryland, maybe for life. And somewhere there's a kid from a small town in Maryland who went to school in Baltimore and never moved home because they couldn't get a job there that would pay enough to service their college debt. There's only a few episodes left, so if you have a friend who still hasn't started listening, go on social media and tag them and Majority54. And if you haven't rated the podcast yet, please do, because it encourages other people to listen. As always, I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Talk to you soon. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.